White Castle presents CEO Lisa Ingram. My great-grandfather opened White Castle in 1921, which is why I'm excited to announce the new 1921 slider, inspired by how we made him 100 years ago with a 100% beef patty topped with cheddar cheese, caramelized onions, tomato, lettuce, and pickles. Come see why originality never goes out of style. I'm Lisa, but you can call me the Slider Queen. White Castle. Long live sliders. Pasteurized processed cheese at participating castles. Texting privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. My first grader was behind in reading, and this program has made a huge difference. She's now reading above grade level. I use it for my kids' nightly reading for school. We love it, and it's super easy and quick to do. My kid, who just turned four years old and has been using the program since January of this year, can now read read. Thank you so much, Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just $1. Text the word KID to 323232 right now. It's fast and easy. Text KID to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text the word KID to 323232. Text KID to 323232. Welcome back for another week of the Razzball Prospect Podcast. I am your host, Ralph Lifshitz. This is a big week on the podcast. As always, I am joined by my main man, Lance Brozdowski. We are doing the Blue Jays this week, as well as the Nationals. We're going to do our 5 by 5 now that the season going. That's when we go through five players each back and forth at the beginning of the show. Uh, Blue Jays is a big system. This is near and dear to our heart. We were just at a uh, New Hampshire uh, Fisher Cats game last Friday on a romantic scouting adventure date, as I would like to call it. Lance, are you excited for this show, my man? Always. I'm always excited to sit down and talk some prospects here. Yeah, you caught uh, a Boba Chef foul ball, Ralph. I don't know if this was publicized enough. That's a big thing. That was fun. We were on the outfield. They wouldn't let us bring the beer outside of the Sam Adams, whatever you want to call it, which was made in absolutely (laughs) no sense whatsoever. But that's all right. We we, we got some looks at... uh, Bone Vlad again. I think you're second, my third. And we we got to look at Reed Foley, who we're going to talk about a little bit, I'm sure, and Dylan Tate and uh, Kevin Biggio. It was good. It was a good time. I always like going up there. That was actually the first time I was up in New Hampshire, too. So uh, yeah. I had to kind of get that out of the way because Hartford is where I've gone pretty much all my life. Same with uh, when New Britain was still a thing. But, you know, I have to I have to expand my horizons a little bit. I have to diversify where I've been. So And I figured how, how better to do that than on a than on a prospect date with you. So it was great. 
It was wonderful. Yeah, yeah, it was my first time actually going to uh, Manchester for a game as well. It was it was awesome. Um, I've watched mm-hmm. a ton of games on there. I've seen a ton of tape from different guys that have gone up there. I know Ben Badler was there this weekend. He's another guy that's local to the Boston area like us. Uh, but I guess, you know, because he works for Baseball America, he can go in the middle of the day on a Wednesday to a game. That is not yes. something I'm able, able to do just start, yet. Right? Yeah. <laughs> no, I know, a 1035 start. And he was there for BP. I'm like, dude, what time ah. did you go to New Hampshire? I would have had to have slept there in order to, like, be there for BP. <laughs> like, literally like the in the hotel in the schedule. outfield, too. Like, it would have been an easy <laughs> jaunt. I mean, you know. And I could have been drunk uh, by like three o'clock and then just like stumbled back. That's the best part of that deal. Right. Is the fact yes. that like you could watch the game and then drink in the bar in the outfield for like the seventh to ninth inning, get hammered and then stumble back to a room and pass out for a few hours. I it's 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 heaven, Ralph. I think that's heaven on earth. If you guys don't know, if you haven't seen the, the stadium, in New Hampshire, and if, forgive me, I forget the, the sponsor or the name of the stadium. Do you I recall? It's not like Dunkin' Donuts, yeah. like Hartford. Like, oh, that one sticks out. I'm from New England. Everything Dunkin' Donuts, you know. Uh, it's like like 30% of my blood. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they have a hotel, like, in center field. And, and, and Lance and I were laughing because we're sitting behind home plate as we're watching Reed Foley and, and Dylan Tate go head-to-head. And I'm, I'm just thinking, I'm like, this is where I'm going to go for, 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 like, my anniversary. Like, I'm going to take my wife. <laughs> <laughs> To this hotel during the game, and <laughs> you gotta convince her that it's not like going to a well, baseball event, though. And then you just like open the blinds. You're like, oh, oh my god, look at it. it's a stadium. <laughs> we should watch well, the game. This time, of, this time of year too. Like this time of year is like totally the perfect time of year to like go to the hotel because you could sit in that like bar or restaurant or wherever it was in center field next to the heaters. Right. It was like, yes. I wished I had a room at that place just so I could go into the hotel and watch the game from there. <laughs> yep. The beer was our heater up. It's also called the, the Northeast Delta dental stadium. So that's a it's, mouthful uh, yeah, the, and pun intended yeah, there. Yeah. Dental. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, not bad. A mouthful <laughs> dental. The people on Periscope can't hear your excellent jokes. They're going to have to tune into the actual <laughs> podcast. This is like a we'll one figure that out for next week stream. Yeah. We'll try to figure that out. <laughs> Who oh, knows? Man. But anyway, what else is going so, on Ralph? Well, I was going to say, uh, why don't we jump in a little bit of what we, what we saw? Um, I know we're going to yeah, talk sure. some blue Jays. Um, why don't we just mention a couple of things, you know, roll like super cold, rainy night, yeah, yep. you know, it was tough for guys to get footing. Um, Sean Reed Foley actually lost his footing at one point. And I think yeah. the biggest takeaway from the game, and it, maybe we won't, we won't have to talk about Reed Foley so much later on, is that leg, it's not a leg kick, but it's like his his front foot extension is bananas, right? It, it, is, it is really, really funky. Like, and especially out of the stretch, like it, it's, it's not... It's it's unique. He gets good extension, but it is definitely like odd. It, you is, know, it I, is pretty funky. Yeah. It's not yeah. it's not like an athletic movement. It's it's as I said to you that that night, it's like it's mechanical, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's why I think I hesitate a little bit in terms of maybe buying into his hot start as much as I probably could if I if I didn't think this was an issue. But you know, we were watching it and I, I Took some video of him and his pen because they have the bullpens right along the side of the railing there down the right field line. So it was really cool. I was able to go up there pregame and kind of get 
just a really good shot of him and slow that down and put that up on my Twitter account at Lance Brosdow. Follow me at Prospect Jesus. Follow Ralph and uh, shameless plugs. And yeah, <laughs> and the funniest thing is that I think from the lineup we didn't really notice it too much. So my theory around it, I think I said this to you, is that that hesitation is more prominent from the stretch because he's trying to like build up more momentum. So he's trying to drive off his back like harder than he normally is. But uh, but when he's in his windup, he has a bit of a rock. Like almost like a Trevor Bauer style rock, where he kind of gets momentum going towards the plate, where he doesn't have to hesitate on that leg. Because it seems to me like that hesitation on his leg is almost like a, it's a way for him to like tense up and explode. Because he's he's got a lot of like the quick twitch muscle that we talk about, or that I think a lot of people like in terms of pitching. Kopech has that insanely, and some other guys too. But, um, but that was weird. Yeah, no, I remember we kept watching that like when he was out there, and it was it's very prominent. I thought it was more prominent from the stretch than from the lineup and. And his command, I thought, wavered a little bit from the stretch. And I think that's going to remain an issue for a while. I don't really think he's going to polish that off. Like, that seemed like something that's almost a little bit inherent with him. I wonder, I don't know him personally. Like, I don't know if he's stubborn about it. Or I don't know if they're trying to work around it, you know. But it seems like something, the fact that he's up to double A and it's still there, seems like something that maybe they're just trying to accept and maybe they get him into a relief role or something. But, yeah, that was interesting. That was really interesting. Um, and Tate, Tate is kind of a little bit different. He's got a heavier back leg too. He, it really, really athletic delivery from Tate, but his leg kick is insane. And I actually was trying to, I think I actually got a message back from the top velocity guys who I really like on YouTube. Um, really? I was going to ask them about, yeah, I was going to ask them about, so Dylan Tate's hand separation was something I noticed. Like if you slow down the video a lot, when he s- goes back into his delivery, he closes his front shoulder off a lot and he separates his hands like really low and away from his body. And I thought it was almost like a counterbalance of weight. And I was wondering if they thought that was an issue, but I haven't shot them the video yet. But I guess I can update everyone on what they think about that. But, um, yeah, what did, what did you get impression-wise of both the pitchers? I don't know. I think we're both kind of like neutral on them, right? Like, I don't know if we're in love with either, um, but eh, it's, it's kind of neutral I, night, I would say. I still I still buy Tate as, like a, as a relief guy to me. You know, mm-hmm. like, decent breaking ball, pretty good fastball. The command wavers. He's super inconsistent. Really athletic delivery. Like, he... He's an athletic pitcher. That's one thing oh that God, definitely yeah. stuck out to me. You know, just the leg lift, like just everything is very smooth. Um, but I, I, I couldn't pick it out, you know, from the naked eye. I don't know if it's a release point thing, but there's something there where he cannot consistently throw strikes and he misses his spots in the zone a lot. He left a, lo- a few balls up that, you know, if it hadn't been a cold night and the wind hadn't been blowing in a little bit, I think some of those balls probably would have would have been out to right field. Um, if you remember, he had some pretty hard hits off of him, um, and a mm-hmm. lot of hard like hard hit ground balls and stuff too. Like there's there's solid contact that comes off of Tate. I felt like Reed Foley. You know, the stuff is better. I mean, he's got you know yeah, some velocity on a fastball and the gun. The gun unfortunately was out, so uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was too bad. It's too bad I didn't even have the striker or the jugs gun or whatever, man. So we were able to get the that whole dealio going. But mm. I mean, we saw him 93, 94. You said he popped 95 in the yeah. first inning. So he was consistently in the 90s. He hits his spots. He's got really he's got good fastball command. I will say that. I think he spots that pitch really well to both sides of the plate. Uh, biggest issue for me with him is I just don't know how consistent he's going to be with the secondaries he didn't throw a lot of curveballs. It seemed like that night, it looked like it was mostly slider. I know typically he's heavier on the curveball than he is in the slider. He threw a couple of changeups. They're pretty flat. They're kind of a fringe, get me over pitch. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think he's at least a major league starter where I, I, I really don't project Tate out to be a major league guy. I think Tate is, is ultimately going to be, you know, a, a decent seventh, eighth, potentially, you know, a, a ninth inning closer, but 
Um, I, I really don't, I really don't see him being a starter, but I know the way the Yankees kind of develop these guys. It seems like they try to push him as long as they possibly can, um, as starters, like they did with Ventances until the point they recognize, okay, he's really a, a reliever. We're going to bring him up yet. We have that opportunity to bring him in and the guy typically dominates maybe because he learns how to pitch a little bit more. And maybe that's what they're sort of trying to get out of Tate. Um, they got him for free. So it's not like they have the same investment that, uh, that the, the, Rangers, was it? Don't the take Rangers, right? Rangers. Yep, yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, who no, the Rangers had invested in, but yeah, I mean, ultimately, I think Reed Foley was. Uh, I'd say he's a solid fifty-five grade, you know, prospect. You know, if I had to grade him overall, um, okay. that, that I think he has, he, you know, he could if he maxes out, he could be a really good number three, like borderline, like number two starter. Like, you know, in a real rotation, not in a fantasy team. Fantasy team, I think he's going to be more like a back-end, you know, streamer yeah, guy. He's going to walk team a lot. Yeah. I don't, think, that's ever gonna I, go away. I don't think the control is ever going to be awesome, especially with the secondaries that he has. It's not a, a great home ballpark if he, you know, matriculates up in the major leagues or the Blue Jays. But, you know, he still has enough there, I think, to have a, a pretty lengthy, successful major league career. And there's a chance that he, you know, he could develop into a, a, a pretty decent starter long term. Mm-hmm. Where I agree. Tate, Tate for me, I just think it's I think it's reliever. Maybe he's a five. If, if <laughs> I just can't see him like you know all of a sudden clicking and and maybe you disagree with me on that, but I don't see Tate clicking and all of a sudden taking this massive jump forward and uh, sort of hitting that ceiling that his draft spot sort of uh, dictates. Right? No, but I agree with you. I think you're. I think you're spot on with Tate. I think you're, that's another good point too. Bringing up what we saw from Reed Foley in terms of his pitch mix because. Yeah, we, we kept noticing that that was a two-plane pitch. And when the gun caught on the first inning, I think it was like 84-85, which was clearly a slider. But I, I that's the thing. Like, I read the scouting reports before I got there to the game and stuff and saw that he was curveball dominant. And I don't think I really saw the curveball at all in the zone. So it, that was kind of odd. I wonder if I, – I know we can't get pitch mix data really from minor league games unless we somehow corral everyone who's seen Reed Foley in his five starts or so. But uh, – but I did notice he was doing that slider more, and I wonder if that's becoming a dominant secondary for him. It's a hard slider. Um, I didn't mind it. Um, I thought it was a decent pitch. He was basically fastball slider the whole game. As you said, the changeup was flat. Um, curveball not really present at all. But I'd probably grade him out a little bit lower than 55. Uh, I'd probably go 45 or 50. I, I just, I'm worried about the command side of things um, with him. And I think that eventually, if the Blue Jays get their depth together in terms of their pitching, which, you know, they got Zook, they got some other guys. I don't know how deep it goes. Um, they don't really have the top tier talent. I think Pearson could be top tier talent to some extent, but I maybe grade him, a, grade him out a little lower. Maybe I'm just a little more lukewarm in terms of what I saw, but his stuff was good. I, I'd say that stuff's great. I just don't know if the whole package is going to be something that they're going to be interested in. So, um, in terms of in them uh, classifying the whole Blue Jays system organization, I guess. But uh, yeah, it was a good game overall. I feel like also, Rob, I want to, I want to basically game log out when we've seen Bo and Vlad and see what their stats are because I feel like. I see everywhere on Twitter these awesome Vlad videos. There was an awesome one today. He absolutely smoked a ball. I don't know where it was, but it got like 20,000 views. It was kicked around on like MLB memes or whatever. And it was just an absolute laser from Vlad. It was like middle-middle fastball. He knocked this ball. It was like the loudest contact I've ever heard. And I feel like when I've seen him, I think he's like one for nine in the games I've seen him. I think I am the kryptonite to Vlad. I just, we haven't seen him do anything really insane. Like, I, I don't know, like way back in the day, I saw Miguel Sano, and that was one of the best pure raw power bats I've ever, I've ever seen in the minor leagues and he hit a couple balls that just like awed me you know and I just want to see Vlad do that so bad so we have a couple more chances obviously as before they get called up eventually to to AAA hopefully 
sometime soon. So I guess we'll kind of see when they get called up. I'm interested to see, Ralph, quickly before we kind of jump into the 5x5 five five here, timetable sure. on Vlad and Bo. Do you think that's kind of become a little bit more present? Because I think I've been much more cautious because I think we've had – I think you've gotten this question on Twitter. I'm sure I've gotten it too, I believe, a couple times in terms of just is is uh, is Bo and Vlad – are they going to be call-ups like in July – as opposed to, like, September when rosters expand. Because I think it's more... My initial impression, like, when the season started was that it's September, and if it's not September, then it's going to be next year. But I didn't really even consider, like, the July timeline. But that seems like it's become a little bit more present in terms of realistic. And I'm kind of surprised with that because I just think that they're going to not really be contending. I think that's the Red Sox and Yankees division. And I think they could push down in terms of if they actually want to give Bo and Vlad looks. And I, I think Vlad will come up first. Um, but I'm really interested to see what they do. Do you think that either of them, what's, what, what's the percent chance that Bo makes the majors this year? And what's the percent chance that Vlad makes the majors? Where would you put that? Oh, um, I've been trying to think about it. I don't know. I think I'd have it under like 25%. I don't know why I'm so yeah, cautious no, I on think it. I'm, uh, well, I, I'll put it this way. I think it's a hundred percent. They're going to be up in September. I, I don't think there's any okay. way okay. they don't at least get a look at some point in September especially the last couple of weeks of the blue Jays are out of it. You know, um, maybe they push some tickets that way or something, but it wouldn't shock me if they get a little time. Um, I, you know, I think there's a 0% chance they're in the majors in July. I would okay, say there's okay. maybe like a 25% chance they're in the majors in August, maybe even less than that, maybe like 15% because, um, in all likelihood, the blue Jays, like you said, like it's, it's a Yankees and Red Sox division. So in all likelihood, we're probably not, um, going to see them you know get called up for a stretch run to sort of make make a push maybe i'm wrong and everything everything clicks but i think that's the only chance and that's like i said you know maybe like a 15 to 25 percent chance i but i think it's in all likelihood um after buffalo season is over because i do think they'll both see triple a at some point Agreed. Um, yep per- particularly uh vlad i mean at this point vlad is totally ready i, I think i, I think there's some some parts of Bo that you could say, Hey, you know, there's a few things he still needs to work on. Um, you know, we've seen some messier swings from him, especially the last game. Uh, yeah. he struck he, out he a swings and misses. He's got some swing and miss yeah. that's inherent with him versus like he, upper level pitching. And you had an interesting, you actually had an interesting take on him. Your question to me was, uh, uh yes. I remember what do this. I think? What do I think? You know, early on his rookie season in the majors, what do I think? You know, Bo Bichette's, strikeout rate would be. And I said like, you know, 20, you know, let's we'll say like 19 to like 21%. And you think it legitimately could be like a 25% strikeout rate guy. Yeah. I think that our perception of Bo is interesting. I, I've obviously, I think we both read a lot. And the thing I see consistently is the fact that he has like some hidden power. And that's something I think a lot of people overlook. I think that a lot of people look at him and go, oh, wow, look at a great contact hitter, 300 hitter. Maybe you get the 18 to 22-ish home runs. But I think that there's a realistic possibility that he is more of a power hitter. And if that comes out sooner than later, like if he develops into his body a little bit more and gets into that swing, I think that you're going to see him at a lot more two-strike counts and maybe see him not laying off the breaking ball away as much. And I, I think that I wouldn't be stunned. Like, I don't know if I'd predict that. Like, if I had to put money out, I'd probably stay right with you around that 20 22% window in that first maybe 300 plate appearance sample. But I wouldn't be stunned if he's like a 25% K guy to start. And I think it maybe could be mitigated a little bit by what he does with his two-strike approach because he kind of – he obviously gets his foot out a lot earlier. He keeps his upper body similar. We've talked about this continually in terms of like what he does adjustment wise with, with two strikes. But 
Um, I think that could take away from some of the strikeout, but I still think there's some inherent with him. I think there's some swing and miss inherent with him. I think that that is basically one of the only knocks I have on him right now. And again, this is nitpicking in terms of, I love Bo. I think we both love Bo. I think that we're both kind of, I'm going to adjust my top 100. I'll probably have him higher. I think you already had him pretty high. I'll probably put him right around where you do, but, uh, I don't know. I just think that there's more inherent swing and miss because there's more inherent raw power. I think that I'm, I'm really interested to see with Bo. Like, I think Bo could come up and end up being like a like a 22 to 25 home run guy right off the bat if if they developmentally want him to get there in terms of the power. Because I think that there's kind of some give and take with this. Like, he's a really good contact hitter, but there's a legitimate pop there. I think there's a legitimate pop. This is one thing, like, we talk about jumping systems quickly, but like Joe Adele. Joe Adele's a guy who gets graded out for raw power in, like, the 70-ish window, but he really hasn't shown it at any point. And I think that Bo is almost to some extent an advanced version of that, where we know he has inherent raw power there, but we just haven't seen it. We haven't seen it in full force yet. And I wouldn't be stunned if he hits the major leagues and then we start seeing that a lot more, you know? Like, this is another thing, like, Ahmed Rosario is a guy, a couple years ago, I remember long and hanging from Fangraphs saying that he has a ton of hidden power and we've just never seen it come out. Same with Orlando Arcia, same with uh, um, a couple other guys too. I'm trying to just think of shortstops here that had inherent power. Maybe not as big as Bose. I think Bose's power is bigger than both uh, Arcia and the other guy I just mentioned who I've already forgotten. But, I don't know, that's just my take on Bo. <laughs> I guess we're kind of doing the Jays list now, but uh, I think it's okay because they're relevant and we saw them, and I, I can never get enough of them, Ralph. I can never get enough of them. Yeah, and I don't think we have to talk about them for, for hours either because we've seen these guys, you know, in, in such – we've discussed them in such detail that, you know, maybe it allows us to, to fly through them because I would actually say that three of our favorite prospects being uh, Vladito, Bo Bichette, and then Nate Pearson um, mm. are on this list. And I would say that we've probably covered them uh, as extensively as anybody that we've covered since uh, the two Absolutely. of us have been doing this show uh, since November. Yeah, yes. there you go. But Lance, let's, away get from the the five five. <laughs> let's get into the five by five. Let's get into the five by five, Lance. Let's jump into that. Uh, why don't we're doing it? We're switching it up a little bit this week. You're doing all pitchers. I'm doing all hitters. I love it. Why don't you start off with the pitchers? They start off with the ball. So there you go. Yes. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. I like this. It's funny because I, I think I shot you over this note sheet. And I was just like, you know, what? I'm going to just do all pitchers because I thought it too immediately. And that tends to be where I go in terms of this. Just thinking of guys like throughout the week, obviously follow on Twitter what's going on in the minor league season and stuff. And some names stick out to you. And then when I come down to actually sit and prep, I go, oh, I thought of that name. I thought of this name. And the first name I thought of when I sat down for this was Dylan Cease because I actually was following Emily Walden. Fantastic follow on Twitter. Athletic Detroit. She has a bunch of minor league coverage. Fantastic um, individual to follow. And her knowledge of the game and coverage is fantastic. But um, the interesting thing I saw from, from Walden on Twitter that got me interested in Cease and wanted me to look back at what he's done was that she, I believe, talked to him and, and said in his most recent start that his changeup usage was up. And that was interesting because obviously you develop, into, develop him into a three-pitch guy and I, th- I think the sky's the limit in terms of the strikeout upside with him because basically everywhere he's gone, he's Cade guys. The walks have been always kind of that concern. Um, yeah. I think that it's going to be an inherent thing with him. I don't want to cop him to Sean Reed Foley, but I think that there's always going to be an underlying base if he's walking 3.5 to 4.9, just based on his delivery and how much he's kind of, he's almost got a hitch, but it's more of in his back leg where he's got just a heavy kick off the mound, which I think is going to stunt some of his command. But the stuff with him is unbelievable. And going back to when we talked about him, I think way back, um, you know, I mentioned that he's got just absurd hip to shoulder, hip to shoulder separation, which was something that the top velocity guys talk about. Um, but 
he's he's been pretty good this season to start, and I think that his last start was unbelievable. He had seven innings, twelve Ks, no walks, two hits. That's some of the most domination I think we've seen in the minor leagues so yeah. far in terms of a seven inning outing, which twelve strikeouts, no walks. The biggest thing there, of course, is no walks too. So. Just because, you know, I, again, I, I'm going to knock him a little bit for the control. Just that's the knock I have on him. But he looked fantastic. He's got five starts. He's got a two six eight FIP. Um, interested really in this changeup and if he could use that more and if this is a consistent thing. I know changeups are field pitches. This is something that you see one start and then you won't see it for four starts and you'll see it in that fifth start. But it's a matter of getting more consistent with that. I think that if you show fe- flashes like this, that's super, super encouraging to me. So uh, he's got, a, I believe, a 34% striker rate on the season, 11% walk rate. Again, I said that sub three FIP. Um, I like him a lot. I think he's pretty deceptive. And if he could get to the three pitch mix and mix it up, I think this could be a nice value in a lot of dynasty leagues. Cause I'm not sure where he's landing on a lot of top 100 prospect lists, but I'm pretty sure it's mainly outside of that top 50. So you could buy in maybe on that strike it upside playing up to the major league level and rank him inside the top 50. But I feel like most lists I've seen him is outside the top 50. And you know, I like that a lot. If you want to maybe trade one of those high school arms, um, who you're maybe a little bit less confident about, like even like you're telling me like I, I don't know like we were I saw something on Twitter Ralph regarding like Hunter Green like he hasn't looked good at all and I know I touted him a lot and my my I think the first five by five we kind of did I was I was super in on him but uh, he hasn't looked good at all and I I think you, I saw on Twitter between another individual I forgot his name I think his name is Mark that we talked to a lot kind of back and forth he always asks questions a good guy sure um, he mentioned that where would you have Hunter Green you said really low on the top 100 possibly out of it which is makes sense because he's a high school arm a lot of development to happen if you're in a league that's a big investment especially if you don't have a lot of minor league slots that's a huge investment to hold green because that's a three-year project that's a three four-year project and uh, yeah i don't know like i'd entertain right now if you're a team that you think you contended two years say you have like a senzel and a vladito kind of thing going like scoop dylan sees here this is crazy strikeout upside i don't think the strikeouts are ever going to go anywhere because i love i love the i think it's a slider that he has and uh Changeup looks good too. There's a little bit of a spiel there, Ralph. Uh, who is your first hitter? Nice. No, I like Dylan Cease a lot. I think I was watching yeah. one of his starts earlier in the year where, you know, he was dominant, maybe perfect through three or four innings. And then like the fifth inning just lost it and gave up like four runs and whatever got pulled. But so he's been pretty, pretty dominant, even in his bad starts, just like a bad inning here, you know, a couple of pitches yeah. that he misses on. I like here and guys there. with flashes like this. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, overall, yeah, I like Cease. And he's one of those guys that's always sort of hovered on the radar. At one point, I think it's just, you know, it's going to click. He's going to get promoted aggressively, and you're going to see him in the major leagues. And he's going to be a guy that knows how to miss bats. So uh, oh, yeah, should be interesting, you know, how he fits into the long-term plans there in Chicago. So my number one guy is someone who's very close to the majors. That would be the youngest player in AAA. That's Louis Urias. Uh, so far this season, he's hitting 309, 423, 432. That's good enough for a 394 Woba, 132 uh, weighted runs created plus. He's got a couple homers and a steal. Big thing with him to me that I love is the approach 14.4% uh, walk rate, 15.5% K rate. So it's almost, you know, walk to a K. And that's a really, really high walk rate. He's tapping into a little bit more power. Lots of opposite field contact. He's almost a 40% oppo guy. Uh, had a hamstring issue last week. Rejoined the team on Sunday. So far, as of taping this on Thursday, uh, he's 7 for 13 with four walks. Hasn't struck out yet. A couple of doubles and a steal. Just missed two homers uh, that hit the wall. Yeah, so he's tapping into more power. I'm interested to see what happens with him. And I think he's one of these guys that can sort of... Uh, 
follow, you know, that sort of seems like a revolution of like hit tool first guys that sort of have that ability to tap into uh, a little bit more pull side power as they get older, a little bit stronger uh, and adjust to major league pitching. But I don't think he's a guy that's going to have a whole lot of trouble uh, in terms of hitting major league pitching right from the jump. Maybe he's not going to be super exciting in terms of stolen bases and homers, but I think he'll give you enough of that mixed with a really, really good batting average. I, you know, if I had to put a, uh, a bet on one player that's going to win a batting title in the next 10 years in the minors, Louis Urias would probably be the guy. Absolutely. When do you think he's up in the major leagues, Ralph? Um, you know, it's one of those things that like he's, he's close enough, but they have enough depth that they'd need a couple of injuries. If they had one or two injuries, it would not shock me if Louis Arias could be up like in, you know, June, but more than likely, I assume he's probably going to be like a July guy, August. Um, and I guess there's an outside shot that they don't promote him at all, uh, until September, but I don't think that's likely. I think we do actually see him in July. Yeah, no, I got you there. I think that he's a guy too, you know, Batting average plays up, I think, in a lot of leagues, especially up the middle of the infield, too. And you're creating teams. I know that, like, we we were talking, I believe, a little bit about Buster Posey in terms of, like, the floor he provides for catcher and the floor he provides for batting average. And I feel like that's something that Urias is going to put together. You know, he's going to be a 300 hitter, I think, every year, year in and year out. And that's locking up a spot. You know, combo him up. I like, I, I went Joe Gallo in a lot of leagues here, jumping in the kind of redraft. But I, I intentionally went with guys like DJ LeMahieu later in the draft just to kind of hedge out some of the gallo risk that obviously on the batting average side could happen. And I, I don't know where Urias is going to go in drafts, obviously redraft next year, if, even if he gets a look, if he doesn't get a look, et cetera. But I feel like he's a great guy to combo up some of the bigger power hitters with maybe some contact issues because you could create a floor, you could create a two-player system right there where you got an outfielder with a ton of pop, swings and misses a lot, and then you got Urias up the middle, and it's beautiful average there. So I, I like him a lot. I think that he's a guy we're going to – I feel like we're going to keep mentioning him just because I can't wait for his debut – um, we've seen him in the fall league a couple times too. It's just heck of a hit tool on that guy. Absolutely. He's, uh, I think he's probably <clears throat> in terms of a hit tool, he's it's, it's Vladito and it's him, right? In terms of the top of the minor leagues, you think? Yeah, I would say that like in like a dark horse for one of the best hit tools is probably Max Schrock, you know? Uh, it's a good one. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a good point. I like that. But no, I think Urias and, uh, Vladito are kind of the top, the elite guys, the guys who everyone knows. Schrock's probably a little more under the radar. I'm obviously a cards guy, so I know who he is. But, but uh, talk, how about talk. Bryce Wilson? Bryce Wilson. Bryce, Bryce Wilson. Wilson. Is that your number? Is that your number two? He's my number two. Did I cut you nice. off? Nice. Talk to me about Bryce, Bryce Wilson. I love Bryce Wilson. A lot of good reports that have come from a good friend of the show, Jason Woodell. Yeah. And a few others that I've seen, and the, not, the numbers have been great. So yeah, talk numbers to me fantastic. about Wilson. Yeah, no, he's interesting. He's fastball slider change here. He's in high. He's got a sub one ERA. I think it's like point like eight six or something like that, which is just insane. The fifth's a little bit higher, but you're obviously going to get that a lot with these guys. Um, he's he's interesting. I, I can't say I'm fully on board with him. I think he's an interesting frame guy in terms of he's a little bit shorter. He's a little bit stockier. I think he's like six one two twenty ish, and uh, you know obviously the results have been fantastic. But in terms of aesthetically what he looks like it's not the most oh my god like this guy's six four chiseled beautiful frame easy a velo etc it's not that it's a little bit more of a it's interesting because he's a shorter guy but i actually don't think there's much effort in the delivery at all it's actually a really really smooth delivery so which is weird because we're so used to seeing guys like uh carson fulmer who gets knocked for a high effort delivery 
Um, Justice Sheffield, again, that, who just got promoted, actually, um, gets knocked for the high effort delivery every now and then. I think that his is probably, in terms of the baseline of guys who are short with high effort delivery, Sh- Sheffield's is lower, and Bryce Wilson's is, like, super low. It's probably the lowest, because it actually looks pretty smooth in terms of what I am what I was looking at and stuff. But uh, um, I, I, the thing is, he doesn't sit with the highest velo, which is probably one of the reasons why it's not that high effort, because he's not a guy like Sheffield who's going to pump 95 or Fulmer is going to get up there as well. He seems to sit in that lower 90 slot, but... Again, the results have been great. I think there's a ton of run on the fastball. Um, the control's great, too. Um, I don't know where he ranks in terms of all the other Braves' arms. I think that's the biggest thing right now for me. I, I obviously like Kyle Wright more. I think I even like Wentz and Anderson more, Ian Anderson, Joey Wentz, who are two probably more of the volatile, vo- volatile guys that in leagues, in dynasty leagues, I'd probably be a little, a little bit more incentivized to buy into because I think that the if the, either of them put it together, Wentz being the lefty here, um, the, the strikeout upside is insane in terms of what they could put together. And both of them have shown flashes of control. I think I mentioned Joey Wentz on the last pod, uh, which who's had a decent start to the season as well. So I think he's probably in the second tier of Braves arms. I don't really know what the role is long-term just because they have so many arms now. Like this is just stacked in terms of what they have, but he's got to keep an eye on. I think that he's a guy who maybe is a little bit under the radar too. I don't know where the upside is, but the results have been fantastic. He might be one of these kind of chance Adam guys. And I feel like I always mention chance Adams in terms of just like the stuff isn't unreal, but the results are just perpetually great. And you have to pay attention to guys like this. So do you have any conflicting thoughts on, on Bryce Wilson like me, or are you kind of more buying in Ralph? No, I think I'm more buying in. Um, I think maybe the one thing I'd say is I probably might take him over Wentz. Uh, I know Wentz is a lefty and, and then, you know, what I, I just feel like Wilson can pitch, man. And, uh, you know, I think maybe like draft slot, draft slot, draft slot. <laughs> and uh, some of those other factors I, I think have um, sort of come in heavy in terms of what his ranking, you know, Wentz's ranking has been versus Wilson's where Wilson, I think you could probably make the argument has been the better pitcher. And from a lot of the reports I've heard, some people think he's the more projectable pitcher, um, and a lot of it is because, you know, Wentz is one of these guys that, you know, has a relatively advanced uh, change up for the lower levels. And when that happens, you know, typically you're going to miss a lot of bats yeah. and, you know, you don't really get tested until you're in the upper levels like double A, triple A, et cetera, et cetera. So he's a guy that's interesting. I'm a little bit more guardedly optimistic about Joey Wentz. Uh, they am about Bryce Wilson. I'm trying to buy Bryce Wilson anywhere I can. Uh, I think he's great. You know, I think he's one of the more exciting Braves pitching prospects. And uh, I think he's a guy that's going to move up top 100 lists even more than he already did over the course of last season. If he continues to keep up what he's been doing. Do you have any idea, by the way, I want to ask you, uh, how did Shane Bieber's uh, AAA debut go? Ooh, I actually don't know, but I can find out by going to Fangraphs and looking at him. Uh, you got to fill some time, though, Ralph. <laughs> yeah, I think, you should, I think you should go to MILB and take a look uh, at him. And while you're doing that, I'm going to go on to rotoware.com. That way I can show all of our viewers and uh, I can talk to our listeners about all the excellent T-shirts that my man Kenny Cashman's been putting out. Follow him on Twitter at Kenneth underscore Cashman. Follow at Rotoware. Follow Rotoware Classic, which is the new brand that Kenny's putting out. It's doing some direct sales uh, via Amazon. Sort of a different quality where uh, you know the elite stuff is still the Rotoware stuff. Go directly to the site. Like I said, use promo code SAG. 
as always. That's the classic stuff. That's the fly, the quality start that you got in the background, the process versus results. I got on my draft slayer. I was wearing uh, my 80 grade uh, shirt before prospect stasher the day uh, before that. I, I think I have a roto wear shirt for every single day of the week. And now he's putting out some really interesting stuff, uh, sort of just drawing stuff up and letting it fly uh, with some of that ro- ro- uh, wear classic. So check out some of that stuff on Amazon as well. Uh, Kenny just obviously, you know, constantly putting out new material, constantly putting out new t-shirts. Um, and you know, he's a lot of fun on, uh, on Twitter as well. So give him a follow. And like I said, use our promo code Sagnoff to get 20% off all your stuff. Lance, tell me about Shane Beaver start. Oh man. I want to tell you about Rotoware classic. Cause some of those shirt designs are oh. absolutely unreal. Because I've been following him, and I actually keep it up. I know they, he's a sponsor for my podcast, Two Strike Approach Podcast, and those those shirts are unreal. I absolutely love all of them. Like, they're just so sick. Like, he's being so creative. I, Kenny's just an unbelievable creative guy to start, and the shirts, the ideas he's come up with have been fantastic. Um, he's going to have to probably do one for Bieber, though, because the start in AAA was six innings, two hits, one earned, one walk, five Ks. So that's fantastic. Oh, man. That's a great AAA debut. Um this kid's flown, I think, into uh, – he's got to be inside some top 100s right now in terms of the results. He is. <clears throat> Absolutely. He's actually – he definitely actually, wasn't before, like, this season, right? Like, I, I honestly didn't know much about him. Baseball America actually updated their top 100 and oh. uh, yesterday, and he is now within the top 100. He's, like, 96 or 97. But I think these guy's going to move up into, you know, some top 60s for sure. Absolutely. No, he, he looks fantastic. I actually kind of wish he stuck around in Akron because I think uh, the Akron goes into Hartford, I believe, in a couple weekends. I'm trying to get to one of those games, and uh, I was hoping maybe one in five chance I'd get a look at him, but instead I yeah. will have to get a look at not Bieber. But uh, <laughs> who is your uh, – did we talk to your second hitter right here, Ralph? Who we have it. My number two hitter is Taylor Ward, who is a converted catcher. They moved him over to third base. He's played entirely there this year uh, in double-A Um uh, name escapes me the, the the Los Angeles Angels double A affiliate, of course. Um, <laughs> the Arkansas that one up. Naturals or something, Travelers? I think it is. We'll, it might, yeah, we'll, we'll have to look it up. But but either way, he's moved over to third base. Uh, he's slashing 398, 495, 543 so far, 17.8% walk rate uh, and K rates. I think they actually is identical walk and K rates. That's an insane walk rate. He's 24 at double A, so not the youngest guy, but he's not terribly old either. Uh, he's got three homers, three steals. Good enough for a uh, 197 weighted runs created plus. That's a 469 Woba, but it's a big but. He's got a 459 BABIP and only a uh, 24.6% fly ball rate with a 50% pull. So I would imagine that batting average is going to come down uh, quite a bit, but that's fine, 398. Maybe he's tapping into something here. Maybe, you know, the wear and tear that he had in his body from catching every day and the rigors uh, that come along with sort of learning the position uh, at the professional level. Maybe now that some of that's been been sort of stripped away in terms of his responsibilities, maybe he's able to focus a little bit more offensively. Maybe he's tapping into a different player that we didn't see before. I I, I wasn't able to identify. There wasn't a ton of tape available. I didn't go back and and zoom in on some games. Uh, The tape wasn't great from his local broadcasts. 
Uh, so I, I couldn't tell you if there's an, an exact swing change or anything like that. Uh, but for whatever reason, Taylor Ward is really hitting. And in a deep enough league, I think he's somebody maybe to pay attention to. I'm trying to mix in, if you'll see today in my 5x5, five five, sort of some different names in terms of levels of success and pedigree uh, to give you a sort of uh, a well-rounded minor league 5x5 five five palette. Lance, anything like you want to add on Ward or uh, you want to kick it over to your starter so we uh, – don't end up running with two and a half hour podcast. Today. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 definitely. I, I like the fact that we're kind of going deeper on some of these guys. Cause like I, I, my fifth guy is probably someone I don't think anyone's heard of. Um, so I think that that'll be cool. And uh, no, I like the blend. I think the blend's good. I think we got to bring up some guys who are a little bit lesser known because I know there's people listening, obviously who are in really deep leagues where we can't just go oh, pick up Bryce Wilson or pick up Joey Wentz. Like they're their own. So I think that it's good to kind of blend the two together. Mobile Bay bears is the angels. Double a um, Arkansas travelers Mobile. used to be their double a. They used okay, to be the double mobile. A, but yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the Angel, uh, Mariners double A is the Arkansas Travelers now. So it'll switch up, which always confuses me. Um, and I, I feel like my mind is always like three years behind this stuff. So like I remember when they were the Travelers because I remember actually pretty funny. My dad has a Mike Trout Travelers double uh, A shirt that they like jersey that they had. He always buys those. Oh, really? Funny. But uh, <laughs> that's why well, I thought it was Travelers. But uh, well, you got a Blanito last know, weekend right? in New Hampshire, actually. So I there did, you go. Yeah. I got I got his Dunnit in one and I have the New Hampshire one, so I, I think I need to collect them all. It's like a Pokemon or something. But <laughs> but uh, my number three on on the pitchers who I'm running through right here is uh, uh, Zach Littell, actually. So he actually came to the Twins in the uh, Jaime Garcia trade, which yes. is a weird swap. But uh, he's yeah. a piece. He's a six four two twenty guy. He's pretty big. I actually think the mechanics are relatively clean for his size, which I always like. Something I always enjoy is is guys who are a little bigger like this who have decent velo and uh, who have con- a little bit of control in there mixed in and uh, or the, the mechanics are clean as a whole. I think that he's got a good blend of some upper body movement and rotationally, and he's good in incorporating his lower half, but he's not too much of a drive pitcher back leg drive guy like Dylan Cease um, is a heavy black back leg drive guy. That's regenerates. I think a lot of his velocity in terms of how he separates his shoulders, but Littell's a little bit different. He's a four pitch guy, 30% strikeout rate this year. Um, he's had a weird start. He's got a 587 ERA. And I feel like we often, often honestly, I often, I'm looking for some of these guys. I tend to just sort by ERA or, or strike out to walk differential and just try to look at some of the names and see if anyone's like jumping out to me. It's like, Oh wow. I don't know too much about this guy. How does he have a, this insane split in terms of his walk strikeouts? But but that's how I kind of found Zach Littell, but the results have been terrible for him. Honestly, I'm not going to lie. His last two starts have been very bad. But um, the first three starts of the season for him, he had 25 strikeouts through 15 innings. So I don't really know. Uh, it seems like he's getting bad, but really hard. He's not really straining any runners. Um, the FIPS only at 3-5. He's obviously striking out enough of guys, and he's w- not walking a ton. And strikeouts, walks, and home runs are the three key variables that FIP's based off of. So FIP kind of likes him. ERA doesn't. Obviously, he's 6 ERA, but um, he's interesting. I don't really know if I project him out as like a, even like a 4. I think he's probably, if anything, like a 5. But um, I think processes like this are interesting to keep an eye on in terms of just what their production is and the fact that he's maintained a striker rate at some upper levels here in terms of AA and such. It's important to kind of keep an eye on some of these guys because um, I think the results really aren't reflecting how well he has pitched. And I believe that that could kind of toss some guys under the radar in terms of what they've actually produced. Because I feel like we often are attached to ERA and stuff like that, especially in the minor league side of things. But FIP is something that you can kind of look at at any level because you only need to know, as I said, walk strikeouts and home runs. So you can look at those three, th- three things, look at the things that the pitcher is purely controlling on his end and kind of get a better projection for what exactly his ERA should be. So I wouldn't be shocked if over the next couple of starts you see Latell start to fall down to like a four sub 40 ERA guy, possibly kick up to AAA by the season's end 
and maybe get a look into the majors. I don't really know. I think there's a lot of those Twins guys who I know Taylor Rogers was one um, who's kind of like a long managed now. So I think that's probably the long term picture for Littell. Picture for Littell, excuse me. But uh, keep an eye on him. I'm interested. I, I like the frame. I like the delivery. So not not obviously a top guy, but you know, toss him around in a deeper league. You never know. Yeah, I, I agree. I've liked Littell for a little bit, and I think he's uh, an interesting, somewhat off the radar guy with. Uh, a little bit of major league juice potentially long term. Mm-hmm. By the way, we're not streaming on Periscope any longer. We went uh, 48 minutes doing that, and they can only cool. hear you for about the first 15. So yeah. good for them. Except for next week, we got 297 viewers on that though. Uh, in total, we have live to do that viewers. For next week. So oh my god, I think yeah. we have to do it again next week. That's pretty cool. Yeah, you know, just we we did it on spur of the moment. And uh, thank you to all the folks that tuned in uh, on Periscope, on Twitter, all that good stuff. So my number three, and this is a guy that I actually spoke with. Uh, Jason went out. We had a good long chat today, actually, uh, on Twitter, going back and forth, uh, little DM action, talking to prospects. But I actually approached him about Nathaniel Lowe, who's a first baseman that's uh, low, like Derek Lowe, L O W E, uh, Tampa Bay system. He's in uh, 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 their, uh, excuse me, um, high A uh, affiliate right now, if I'm not mistaken, in the Florida State League. Um, first baseman. 13th rounder back in 2016 uh, when I was chatting with Jason about it uh, he had mentioned uh, this afternoon they had a couple of looks at low big strong guy really short to the ball he mentioned really powerful ton of raw power there getting into it in the games uh, I had asked about some swing changes some tweaks on it and he, he had nothing really to compare it to so he couldn't say if there were uh, anything there, hadn't heard anything in particular from scouts, but there's been a significant jump in this guy's uh, fly ball profile. Went from a 32% fly ball uh, rate guy last year to 43% uh, in terms of fly ball rate. He's slashing 396, 468, 635. He's got five homers already. He hit seven last year in 472 at-bats. That's good enough for a 211 weighted runs created plus and a 492 Woba. Nathaniel Jesus. Lowe is absolutely mashing. And he is a big boy. He's like 6'4, like 240, 250. Whew. Wow. This seems like the destination uh, for like what, what the White Sox hope Jake Berger or Zach Collins or any of those big bats get to, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, Jesus Christ. I can't say no much about Lowe at all. Interesting on the swing changes there. Um, I actually immediately already want to dig into that, but. Short to the ball with power. That's fantastic. 211. Way to run to create a plus two. Oh, my God. But, uh, yeah, that, that fly ball jump, I think, is really important to keep an eye on. Um, I think we mentioned before, like, we're always not 100% sure on who is tracking that and how accurate some of it is. But I think a 10% jump is something to note. Even if, you you know, even there's a margin error, like, plus or minus 2%. Like, if you see a 10% jump, like, that's, that's relatively substantial. Like, that seems like there's something to dig into in terms of what's changed for the guy. And Nathaniel Lowe, wow, didn't know too much about him. But um, I'm going to keep an eye on him going forward, Ralph. Absolutely. I'm also going to keep an eye on Corbin Burns, who is a guy I know was ranked pretty highly by Fangraphs. I think he was actually like inside their top 50, 100, uh, excuse me, top 50 overall on their 100 prospects list. He is a Brewers arm. He's currently up in AAA, struggling pretty bad right now. I actually drafted him in um, the CBS Anal Only Auction League. 
which is a fun one that I try to do every year. I know uh, Gray's in that, and he's won it a couple years. I won it last year, actually. Not doing too well this year. Trying to sneak back into it. It's really, really close. It's a very tight league right now, which is interesting. I think last year was a lot more separation, but uh, I know there's been a lot of injuries, and um, there hasn't been too many guys picked up off the waivers that have been fantastic, whereas last year that happened a lot. But um, I actually drafted Corbin Burns in the reserve round because I knew there was a bit of a rumor that maybe he would break camp pretty early if Woodruff or some of the other guys in the back end of the Brewers rotation didn't look too good. But the problem right now with Corbin Burns is that his striker rate has kind of fallen off the table a little bit. Um, it's below 20% for the first time in his career. It doesn't seem like his stuff's playing up too well, um, which isn't really that good, you know, in terms of what you want to see from a guy when you kick him up a level. Maybe this is probably one of the reasons why the Brewers weren't really considering him for the fifth rotation spot um, during spring training, which is completely understandable now that we actually see this. So, you know, I, I'm interested overall. I'm not really sure how much to freak out about this. I know the walks are up and the strikes are down, as I just mentioned, which is not a good combination for anything. But again, this is his first look at AAA, so it could be kind of an adjustment period where he's going through. But I, overall, I don't think it's too encouraging. I think I would probably kick him down a couple spots on top 100 prospect list just because maybe this stuff wasn't that good. Maybe it was just playing up a ton in AA, and we now get to AAA, and it's not playing up as well, whereas we see guys like Kopech, obviously not the best comp, but even t- I mean, we're seeing guys like Bieber, too, where he goes up to AAA, and that stuff plays up immediately, but it hasn't played up immediately for Burns. I think that could be relatively concerning. But um, um, what else was I going to say in terms of his delivery? I don't think I was going to say too much. I think it's relatively clean, really good projection on the changeup. I think the curve's probably a little bit of a hump, not as sharp of a curve as you'll see in a lot of guys. But uh, um, I think that the interesting thing with I noticed with him is that his, his upper body is really lateral. You often talk about if you watch any like mechanical breakdowns, you'll see um, – Guys who aren't lateral will come really up high with their glove hand and create a lot of torque in their upper body through rotation of that, and they'll pull with that glove arm. But uh, but with with Burns, it's very lateral. Like, he's going towards the plate, and it's an efficient delivery, which is one of the reasons why I think that a lot of people like him in terms of the control side of things. But um, this is something, if you ever watch tape of Kumar Rocker jumping to the MLB draft upcoming, he's a, a big high school righty, and one of the knocks on him is that his glove arm comes up too high and it's an inefficient delivery in terms of where his weight transfer goes because it's kind of like he comes up and then you have to go towards the plate so this is something you'll hear a lot and a lot of mechanical talk is like the guy's going up then you at some point have to come down so why is the energy being pushed up when it could be just being pushed laddering and burns does this well so obviously you can come up with scenarios where this works and it's scenarios where it doesn't i know mechanics are often something like that where it's kind of a tomato tomato kind of instance but um i'm a little bit concerned with burns i wish that you know the it played up a little better, but we give it some time. I think it's still a little bit early to overreact. Yeah. And I want to bring up something with Burns too, that you didn't mention is uh, his, of the five starts that he's made, two of the first three were very good. Uh, he had some K's yeah. in the third start at nine K's. He had two starts at home in Colorado Springs where the K's were down and the numbers were bad. Uh, you do you, Colorado Springs is one of the worst pitching parks in baseball. Like it's an mm-hmm. awful, That's it's just point. as bad as pitching at Coors. It might be worse. Cause I don't think there's a humidor or anything like that going on. Increased elevation. If you look at the numbers of all of their starters, it has killed a ton of pitching prospects. They had this kid Lopez that was coming up at the Jose Lopez. If I remember his name correctly, coming up a couple of years ago, uh, that people were pretty high on and it more or less killed his stock. Uh, you know, Woodruff struggled with it a little bit as well. Josh Hader struggled with Colorado Springs and we see how good Josh Hader is. I wouldn't read into his numbers in a couple of bad home starts and Hader's strikeouts were down too when he was at Colorado Springs. And I, I think consider this. I have to say, Ralph, this is a good point. You're bringing yeah. Up. I really think that the park has a big, a big effect on these guys. It really impacts what their, their long-term 
excuse me, what their what their production and what their numbers look like, and, and how people view them long term. Where I don't think it necessarily does hurt their you know long term outlook. I just think I think it's a really rough place to pitch. It's probably tougher to pitch there than it is to pitch in Milwaukee, to be honest. But you know, <laughs> just with some that, of the yeah. factors, and even early in the season, some of the factors that you're seeing where you know some of these other guys are pitching in environments where. Um, you know, maybe it's cold, so they don't go as many innings, but it's a little bit tougher for, you know, hitters to make good quality contact as well, you know, depending upon the elements. I think we sort of saw that a little bit the other night, um, where I think the elements helped out Sean Reed Foley a little bit, you know, um, I want to jump into my number four guy. Who's a a bigger uh, name prospect. I think the guy that I probably view as having the highest pedigree and the guy that I'll probably end up ranking the highest throughout his time uh, in the minor leagues. Uh, that's Jordan Alvarez of uh, the Houston Astros. He's in double a Corpus Christi, uh, if I'm not mistaken, which is a really aggressive assignment. He's only 20 years old. I think he actually turns 21 in late June. Uh, so he's, you know, starting to, you know, it was his age 20 season, uh, young kid, fifth youngest hitter in double a and so far at the level, he's got a weighted runs created plus of 155, six homers, five steals. His slash line is 303, 394, 573. That's good enough for a 967 OPS. Tons of oppo contact on this kid. He's getting even oppo pull side uh, split of 36.1 on both. Tons of hard contact. Hits a ton of liners as well. 28.6 line drive rate. I really, really love this kid. Hits scorches off the end of the bat. Uh, I love the, the, the swing, I love the loft in the swing. Um, I think, I think his overall ability is going to play up and the fact that he hits the ball all over the field with power. I think half of his homers have actually gone to the opposite field. Um, the fact that he hits that kind of, you know, hits with that kind of authority in terms of line drives. I, I really think this guy is going to always hit for a high average and bring power. He's a legitimate middle of the order bat. And he's got good on base ability as well. I, you know, I really want to own uh, Jordan Alvarez everywhere I can. Super interesting. Yeah, I think at when we did the Astros list, I think we were both pretty in on him. I remember you were super in on him, and that swing is beautiful. He he gets into some balls that's gorgeous, and he he stays inside really well, which I think is probably one of the reasons why he has that that oppo percentage even with the pull yeah. percentage. But that's big for power hitters. Like that's uh, I, I don't know. Like I enjoy that because I think that it's really important to stay inside the ball like that. I mean, we've seen it with so many guys in terms of eliminating holes in their swing is to be able to stay inside the ball. And he's still going to be able to pull some balls that are just monster bombs. So um, interesting. I'm going to keep an eye on him. And uh, you're right. Yeah. June 27th, he turns 21. So uh, really young in double a too. That's another huge perk. I think of a guy like that. I think there's a good combination of success and age in yeah. terms of what he's produced. It's huge. The guy, the guys that are younger than him are Vladimir Guerrero, Jr. Uh, Bo Bichette. Uh, I believe it is. Um, Kiebert Ruiz. Yeah, he's really and you know, who's really young. And uh he's just like four or five days older than Josh Naylor. And there's one other guy that that's escaping my name, uh whose name escapes me at the moment, but another big Josh, name. Did you, did you hear the f- fun Josh Naylor news tonight that happened Thursday night? Was he was playing the outfield? No, he was back in the outfield, yeah. huh? Yeah, <laughs> he, he played. He played the outfield actually uh, in in high school. Yeah, the, but his I think yeah. the big concern is just the body concerns around him. Like, obviously, no one wants him running around the outfield. But uh, to me, like 
the fact that they have him in the outfield makes me think that they want him in the majors quick because he is mashing the ball. I think you brought him up on your top five or five by five last week. I brought him, I, th- yeah. I think in week one, I brought him up. So we're both kind of like in on him, obviously, just because he's hitting really, really well. So I think yeah, at is. some point we might get a look at Naylor this year, I think. And and we could get to see exactly how bad the defense is in the outfield. But uh, regardless of that, you know, they have such a blockage, I think, at first base with uh, Hosmer and then say Hosmer goes down. I think the job goes to Myers, even though Myers, I'm not sure how Myers is done in the outfield. But uh, but interesting point on Naylor. Yeah, very interesting. Um, a lot of young guys there, Ralph. And uh, I'm going to bring up a 21-year-old who I can't say the last name of. I believe it is Marge Vicious, I want to say. That's very just phonetical in terms of how it's spelled, so I could be terribly wrong. <laughs> but, uh, but he's a pitcher at Fort Wayne, uh, Indiana, which is the Padres' A-ball team. Um, pretty good start to the season. I, I really wanted to go off the radar with this guy just because I thought it would be interesting to kind of pull up a guy with crazy uh, strikeout minus walk percentage. Um, he's right around, I think, that 26, 28 windows. He's 31, right around 31% strikeout, 5% walks. He's getting Babbitt to death right now. He's got around 400 Babbitt. Um, I think he hides the ball pretty well. He's an interesting guy. He's seventh rounder, 198th overall. There's really not much, I bet, buzz at all around him, but um, he's kind of going in this range of like four to five innings, which I found relatively interesting because he got lit up in one of his starts, but uh, and he actually walked five guys in one start, which is another thing that... Uh, you think this command is even better than it's showing through because in that one start he walked five of I think the seven batters he's walked on the year and he's had about five starts here so if you want to pull that one start out which I obviously don't like doing I don't like being too selective with samples but uh March Vicious I think that's how you say it. I don't know how you say it better, March but Vicious March Vicious super under the radar keep an eye on him I don't know Sid's, I don't really know Sid's, Sid's what the mom. buzz is on him <laughs> Sid's mom, Marge. Uh, my number five guy is a former uh, first round supplemental pick. He is a middle infielder in the Dodgers system. That's Gavin Lux. And I think he's a guy that was a little bit off our radar in terms of excitement. It's a name that everybody knows, I feel. Um, we always pay attention to Dodgers prospects. They're kind of an interesting system. They always do a very good job developing players and getting the most out of their talent. He's a 20 year old shortstop. He's slashing 326, 425. 453 with high a Rancho Cucamonga thus far in the season. He's got a Homer three steals, but what's really impressive about Lux and the reason I want to mention him, and I think we're sort of uh, following a theme here is the approach 14.2% walk rate. I love guys that can get on base and, and guys that walk at that elite level because as they move on the minors and if it ticks down a couple of percent, if they're a 10 or 11% walk guy, rookie year in the majors. That's a big deal. That's a guy that, you know, knows how to take pitches, avoids bad pitches, avoids breaking balls and is waiting, you know, for his pitch to hit, not striking out a lot, either 16.8% strikeout rate. I love to see that it's a four or three will, but 141 weighted runs creative plus he's got a 40% fly ball rate, 21.3% line drive rate. That's another big difference for Lux this year. Not only does he have the approach, his fly balls are up, I believe, 7 or 8%, and his line drives are up about 6 or 7%. So he's hitting the ball harder, and he's hitting the ball in the air more, uh, and he's walking a ton. So, and he's a middle infielder, so it's really nice when you see that from a package like this. Runs pretty well. You know, that's always been part of Lux's package. So I am interested to see what Lux can project out to uh, going forward and what the Dodgers can do with this kid. Um you know, they're like I said, they're one of the better player to development organizations. And when you see a guy like this make some significant changes year over year, going to have to reach, reach out to Wilson Caraman actually and see what he's seen from yeah, Lux so man. far this year. 
Um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, I think he's a name, a name to keep on your radar. And I think, you know, depending, you know, I, I think you'd have to have at least 200 prospects on your league in order to take a flyer on Lux. Um, but I think he's creeping into that territory that in deeper leagues, if he's out there, go out there and, and grab Lux and, and, uh, and hold on to him for a little bit because he's making some significant offensive strides. Uh, that if it catches up with his glove and the rest of his profile, he could be a really interesting guy long-term. I don't know if you've had a chance to take a look at him at all, Lance. No, I don't think I've seen him too, too much. I think actually he was, uh, I want to say he was on actually Great Lakes last year um, in the game I actually saw out there in, in Fort Wayne, Indiana. But I think he wasn't playing in that game. So I got to look at Jaron Kendall, but I didn't get a look at Lux. So um, I have to dig, in, dig into him a little bit. I think that the... The, the things you point out with the batted ball changes are, are very impressive in terms of in keeping with the striker weight. Basically, it's essentially similar with the walk rate is huge. So I'm going to keep an eye on him. Absolutely. We have to connect with Karaman and see what he thinks, see if there's been any changes in terms of approach or swing. Um, always good to kind of check in with the guys who I'm sure have a little bit more knowledge in terms of like, I mean, Karaman's a, a huge Dodger guy in terms of props. I love talking with him. Karaman was one of the better guests we had. I, yeah. That was fun. That was a lot of fun. Um, and I think I think he lives like right next to Rancho too. Like I think the oh, games nice. are like yeah. So yeah, I, I mentioned I'll that, right? To, yeah, I'll have to inbox yeah. him about it. Awesome, 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 absolutely. So we are doing two teams. I know we're uh, we're like running late here. We're almost like at an hour mark, and we have to combo it off. But I actually think we talked about Vladdy. We talked about Bo. Let's, we talked about Reed yeah. Foley. So we could start like start Nate Pearson. Let's start like Nate Pearson. So Pearson, Alfred, Jansen, Gurriels, who I had just on my thing here. I don't really think this is any particular order. I think it actually might be my order. I'd probably go Vlad, Bo, Pearson, top three. And then Alfred, Jansen, Gurriel, Reed, Foley, Pardino. I think Kevin Biggio could probably come up a little bit into that top, into that like four through ten-ish range. So uh, let's start off with Pearson. Pearson's a guy I actually talked to his pitching coach with the Vancouver Canadians, Jim Zykowski. We talked a little bit about Pearson just because I know he was a guy who kicked onto a ton of radars, Juco arm who actually went from, I believe, D1 back to Juco to get uh, starter development. He had some weight concerns really early. He put in an immense amount of work into getting him himself into shape. He's still a big-bodied guy. His delivery is really, really powerful. It's unbelievable the extension he gets, how he's able to activate his lower body, and I think, honestly, take a lot of the stress off his arm in terms of the injury concerns around him. This was something I talked to Jim about and Jim agreed with in terms of how he thinks that organizationally they view him as a little bit less of a risk than possibly some other guys who have maybe not as left as much a lower half interaction, but his lower half is, is extremely engaged, extremely, extremely powerful in his delivery. Um, his stuff is unbelievable. Um, Jim actually comped it back to guys he'd seen like Noah Syndergaard and Aaron Sanchez. So comping that up to this is, is unbelievable. He's had an oblique issue though, which is a problem. Um, that has, I believe, prevented him from making a start this year. I believe he's going to start in Dunedin. Um, he's a guy who I think can move really quick. Jim alluded a little bit to, just kind of kicking back to my talk with Jim, just because it's present in my mind, alluded to possibly him being a reliever at some point um, and would progress his development quicker, obviously, in terms of how quickly they could turn him around and get him to the major league level. But I really want to see him as a starter. I think that, obviously, the fantasy upside is as a starter. He's a guy I know Jason Woodall likes a lot, Ralph, and I know a lot of other people do as well. He just, if he just honestly gets some looks at Dunedin, I think they're going to be unbelievable in terms of what he can do and how deep he can pitch into games. And really interested to see his changeup at higher levels too. That was something he couldn't really use at lower levels because it was such a hard changeup because he throws upper 90s and guys really weren't touching the upper 90s fastball. So he was just laying it on them. But he didn't really use that changeup much because when he dropped that changeup in there, it was hittable at 91 because that's usually the fastball velo of a lot of those guys at the lower levels in the short season ball up there um, in Vancouver. But uh that's my thoughts on Pearson Ralph. Um, 
you like the upside with him. I'm sure. I think a lot of people do. How much yeah. upside do you see? Yeah, no, I, I think that, you know, the upsides there, uh, at least the pieces are there for him to be, you know, a front of the rotation pitcher. If everything does click, you know, with the secondaries, with the big velocity, big body, um, and the ability to throw strikes and miss bats. So, yeah, I think everything you said, I mean, you're, you're like the Pearson expert. So you know, <laughs> I don't think I have to add too much there. Um, and I agree with everything you said. So, yeah, I think, you know, potentially the upside is probably an ace. And I think that's what I think it's there. People, yeah. are, people are drafting them, you know, in first year player drafts this past off season with the hope that that's what they're getting. Um, I'm going to mention who my number three would be. That's Anthony Alford. He's a player that I'm very, very fond of former, uh, football player, believe it, Mississippi state, um, transitioned, you know, to f- baseball full time a few years ago. He's had uh, a successful yet injury ridden career thus far successful because he's developed well as a player. He's got really good approach, really good bat to ball skills for a raw, raw football athletic guy. I think he's going to tap into more power. Um, you know, as he just matures as a hitter and sort of settles in biggest thing for him, I think is just opportunity in that Toronto outfield mixed with him staying healthy. Um, if I'm not mistaken, he is back in Buffalo. Now. I don't know if you want to check that for me, Lance, pretty yep, sure that I know. He, okay. I, I know that he, uh, uh, was on a, a rehab assignment maybe with high a for a couple of games. And then I think once he was officially off the DL was assigned to Buffalo, but, um, Alfred's a guy I like a lot. Gets on base, hits for contact, knows how to run. And I think, you know, just borderline, we're looking at a 20 steal guy. I think eventually he can develop into like a 20 20 guy with a 300 batting average and can be a really, really exciting player. Maybe at the top of this, uh, this, this Blue Jays order in a couple of years, these baby Jays. So I don't know if there's anything you wanted to add on Alfred or if you want to jump in a little bit on uh, Danny Jansen. Um, I want to ask you, ask you uh, Alfred, because I know you're a big Alfred fan. His swing overall, is probably the knock I have on him, the reason I probably have Pearson above. Um, even though I think we both probably agree in consensus-wise that we probably prefer bats most of the time over arms. I just really like Pearson's upside. Probably a little sure. bit biased because I've dug into him so much and talked to people who've connected with him, and I know Woodall's a big fan, so it's a little bit of confirmation bias. But but his swing, do you like it, Ralph? Do you think it needs to be adjusted? I know it's a little funky. There's some swing and miss there. The biggest thing for me in terms of him that I was a little bit hesitant with was that we don't have upper level sample of him with that strikeout rate rate at a reasonable level. I think that, and it's all small sample and it's probably all with some injuries backed up in there. So I think that could obviously be a decent excuse for it. But uh, what do you think overall the swing? Like, do you, I, I don't know. It's just interesting in your thoughts. Cause I know there's a relatively big leg kick. There's kind of a bit of a hand pump. There's going to be some holes in it, but do you think that the, the power itself probably overcomes any possible mechanical flaws that he has? Um, yeah. And I think like, you know, when, when you talk about like the, the strikeout rate, I, I guess it really depends on like what you think about that. Those really sh- small sample sizes and like triple yeah, yeah. A this far. I mean, cause in like double a, when he was in New Hampshire last year, he only struck out 15% of the time and he walked 12% of the time. So I've always thought that it works. Um, and I think he's athletic enough that he can make adjustments in his swing mechanically as he learns stuff or takes on coaching. And I think he, from everything I understand, I read a, a piece about him actually in baseball America this week. And it was an interview with him sort of talking about his approach and his approach, you know, on a daily basis as a hitter and, and consistently trying to get better. And he just seems like he's, you know, a well-rounded 
kid that takes coaching and, you know, the, the interview said as much from what I've seen from a guy that was a really raw football player that he just keeps developing. Do I love the swing? No, but it's gotten results thus far. It's really the biggest knock on him has been, has been health. Um, I don't think he's ever going to have Ken Griffey jr. Swing. It's never going to be beautiful no, and no, picturesque. No, no. Um, but I think it can be a good swing. And I think that he can tap into more raw power because he does have actually a pretty good eye at the plate. And that's something that you really can't teach to an extent. You know, a lot of that is sort of inherent and he has that going for him. That's one of the things I like about him with the speed. And and I just think, you know, the body and the athleticism, I'm going to bet on it. No, I agree with you. Yeah, you were right, too. He had a, a six-game, a little bit of a rehab stint in high A. He's played, I believe, seven or eight games at AAA. Um, the results haven't been too great so far. He's striking out a lot. Um, on the season as a whole, between the two levels, he's 20 strikeouts to four walks, right around a 200 average. Mm. Um, caught stealing three times. I wonder if the injury stuff's lingering over, because we know that the skills well, are better than that. And I think he missed some of his spring training, too, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, so this is like probably a, a big yeah. yeah. That's a good point. I think that actually, if he starts off pretty slow, he could be an interesting kind of buyish low in terms of uh, and the results on him. Because if he if he starts off like this, and we think that it's probably just him kind of getting into the swing of things with spring training, it could be an issue um, where a lot of people are like, oh, he's just not performing at higher levels, let me trade him. And if you believe that it is kind of him going through a spring training routine, then what do you know? You'll have some value there. Danny Jansen, we can jump too quick. I'd like to kind of leave 20 minutes or so for the, for the Nationals here. But uh, Danny Jansen is a guy I believe I brought up. He's hitting really, really well. Um, I think it was trying to figure out if he made any swing adjustments because it seems like his power is coming through a little bit more, which is something that, if it does, is fantastic at the catcher position because he's tolerable defensively, um, good average, really, really, really good approach in terms of walks or strikeouts. But uh, the biggest concern for him was just, like, is it empty average? Is it kind of more like a Francisco Cervelli where it's valuable in the fantasy side of things just because of the average floor, but there's really nothing there that makes you excited about putting him in your lineup? Or is it more of, like, an actual good approach with some pop and can he eventually get to 15 to 20 home runs, which would be big? Um, I'm interested. I'm interested to see kind of overall what he does longer term. Um, I'm not re- I'm not sure, Ralph, if you have any stronger opinions on him. I think we mentioned Danny Jansen a bit, actually, in terms of what he's done. But the approach is fantastic. Really good arm. Yeah. Um, I think the glove grades out about average. I'd be interested to see if he could be like a like 110, 120 in a game catcher. I don't know. I think that the trend of baseball is going more towards like the 160 or 90 and 70 kind of guy in terms of uh, – pairing up catchers and just playing matchups and such but i'd like to think that he could probably take on a little bit bigger of a workload um especially because the bat i think could play up a little bit more and play through so uh maybe yeah, jump to he- guriel quick we could speed it up a little bit i don't know i'll give I'll actually I'll, I'll just say guriel we were talking a little bit about fly balls we were talking about like fly ball changes obviously you mentioned that um and guriel's a guy who i think we both saw made a clear approach change in terms of what he was doing with fly balls yeah. and ground balls because that kicked up a lot and now he's at the major league level obviously he's made it before bow and some of the other guys but uh um, I like Gurel a bit. I think that he's probably a little bit underrated in the system. I think that coming yeah. into this series is probably a little bit overlooked. But I'll pass it to you, Ralph. You had some thoughts there on Jan- Danny Jansen and Gurel. Yeah, I'll just say quickly with Jansen. I think, you know, ever since he's got, you know, his eyes sort of fixed, everything's obviously Good ticked point. up. Yep. He's hitting for a little bit more power this year. The approach is still there. He's maybe walking even more than he was last year in AAA. And I, I think he's in the cusp of the majors and could be a guy that is maybe even relevant in 12 team redraft leagues because we know anything that we get uh, of any substance at catcher is a huge difference maker. So uh, yeah, Jensen's a guy that I think you should definitely pay attention to. As for Guriel, absolutely. This is a guy that does have pedigree. As we mentioned, we know his brother is Yuli Guriel. His father is Lourdes Guriel senior, uh, who is like a patron saint of Cuban baseball was like a right-hand man of Fidel Castro. One of the reasons that Guriel is finally uh, defected was, you know, 
relations at the time between Cuba and the United States had gotten a little bit better, and there was a little bit more easy passage. They'd opened up a little bit. Uh, so Guriel obviously is now here. He's made some adjustments. I think we forget how rusty he was coming off the international market, going through that whole process and not being able to play competitive baseball for over a year, if I'm not mistaken. So there's just so much that goes into that and so much uncertainty. And we forget these guys are people. I think he finally settled down, got a sea legs under him, got an uh, an official off season under him, got to work with the coaching staff, get acclimated with the organization. And he was able to tap into some of that ability that and all the and all the hype was built around him. this guy initially uh, had broke that he was def- you know defecting and coming over. Um, so I think it's I think it's really really interesting that he's now already up with the Blue Jays and the Blue Jays saw saw enough in him to promote him directly uh, from a small sample in Double A directly up to the major leagues. They demoted Devin Travis as well, who was supposed to be the guy long term. I think there's a really good chance if they decide to keep. Bo Bichette at shortstop that the infield could potentially be uh, uh, Vlad Guerrero Jr. at third, Bo Bichette at, at, at shortstop, second base um, uh, being Guriel, and then I guess, I don't know, first base would still be Smoke probably, right? That'd be a funny combination. Every everyone really be. young and and with high upside, and then it, Justin Smoke. <laughs> Justin Smoke, a really old first baseman. I don't know. Maybe they have another. Maybe Rowdy Tellez will finally figure it out. I think he's there actually off of our list. But no, I think that's he all is. I got to add on Uriel. I don't think we have to go into our number seven, uh, Sean Reed Foley. I I can just run off a couple of names here as well. Um, I don't think we have to dig into any of these guys. Eric Perdino, who's a really interesting uh, prospect. From the uh, uh, from Brazil, actually, yeah, he's a yeah. short, short pitcher. I think he's like five, 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 six, five, seven. He was on their WBC team with Bo Bichette, who was actually also on the team. I don't know if you realize that. I uh, yeah, they didn't qualify, though. I think they uh, were eliminated in like the preliminaries or whatever. So they didn't make like the, the, the big rounds. But either way, Pardino was actually on that team. Really interesting player. Really high upside from everything that I've heard, but he's one of these guys that he's shrouded in mystery because he's an international prospect and a teenager. So we have not really seen a whole lot of him, but everything that I've heard, he's a really exciting prospect and a guy that, if he's as good as the hype says he is, potentially he could really jump up uh, this list, especially if he's a good showing this year. I imagine he'd probably debut in like the GCL. And if everything goes well, maybe sees uh, some short season time uh, with the Astros affiliate. They're actually the Astros affiliate, Blue Jays affiliate. I think they're actually out in the Northwest League. Um, number nine, I don't know if you want to mention anything at all. Kevin Biggio. I know we've dug into him a ton. If anyone listens to the podcast, you can probably go back and listen to the last couple. I know we connected for a sixth homer the other day. We've gotten some good looks yeah. at him. Um, really good eye. Really good eye. He's a little bit stiff, but you know he's got great bat path. And, and it's an uppercut swing. He's definitely going to hit a lot of balls in the air. Anything you wanted to add on Biggio? And I can run through a couple of names here that they have in the system. Super quick, yeah. On Biggio, um, what we were impressed by, I think, was that he turned on uh, Jesus Tinoco upper inside, like 94, 95 fastball, and took that into the yeah. corner in Hartford. That was impressive. There's ba- there's balls that are hit like that where you just go, yeah, he's got some bat speed, and there's really no other way you get to that pitch without bat speed. So Biggio's yeah. one to keep on. I think he's definitely shooting up this list. Pardino, too. 
Um, really, really young, insanely athletic delivery. Encourage everyone to go onto like YouTube and just type in Pardino and watch the Baseball America video. He's actually yeah. has almost a little bit of like uh, Asian influence in how he throws, and this is just my pure aesthetic viewing of it. But he looks a lot like a Tanaka or Darvish, even like a Shohei Otani. Really, really athletic. Gets a ton of extension. Super, super rotational. He's one of those guys like you watch the delivery and you're kind of just blown away um, in terms of. But again, he's really young. Obviously, really long path. So it's really tough to kind of rank him a little bit higher, especially on um, Dynasty Leagues where the investment's probably going to be a little bit longer. Um, so definitely one of those, as you're saying, like 200 prospects owned is where I'd probably stash him and just wait, wait for a while. Um, otherwise, though, um, yeah, you got some other guys on this. TJ, TJ Zook, really, really big guy, heavy sinker. Logan Warmouth is a guy I think that's actually I've seen inside top 10 in some lists. I'm not too high on Warmouth. I think his swing mechanics are a little bit funky in terms of how he kind of coils and closed off his front shoulder. He's really, really closed off. He reminds me a little bit of almost like a like a Lorenzo Kane, but not nearly as much power. He's a little bit shorter of a guy. Really good arm strength on Warmouth, but uh, I don't think I'm too, too high on him overall. Um and Miguel Geraldo, I don't know too much about Ralph. I don't know if you want to toss in something on that before we jump to the Nationals. Uh, I would actually, I would defer to Jason Waddell, who got, who's talked about. It. I think he got some some good looks nice. at him in the backfields. He's a really interesting high upside outfielder, um, toolsy kid. I think you know a little bit of power, a little bit of speed, a little bit of contact. Sort of has all that going for him. Um, but he's somebody that I think has a ton of projectability. The other guy I wanted to bring up was uh, Ryan Barucki, who I know got off to. A little bit of a rocky start early in the season, um, but he actually had a couple of starts that were canceled, and I think he had like two huge layoffs. And he had actually talked about it a little bit. I don't know if the interview was on baseball. I think it was on Baseball America. If you guys want to go and check that out, but it was an interview with uh, Baraki, sort of talking about his struggles, and I think he got right the last start, if I'm not mistaken. So it's kind of an interesting guy there. Um, yeah, and Warmouth isn't somebody I love particularly either. But I thought he was kind of an interesting one to bring up. And Geraldo was actually listed as a shortstop here, but I believe that he moved to the outfield. I, I, I might be wrong, but really good swing on him. And uh, I think if there's a name to watch from this list besides Pardino, uh, that's a little bit of a sleeper. I think that uh, Miguel Geraldo is one to uh, keep your eyes on. What do you say? Want to go into some nationals here? We could probably go through them pretty quick because... Yeah, it's a everybody top knows system. Victor Robles. Everybody yep. knows Victor Robles at this point. Anything you want to say on Victor Robles? I always comp him to Starling Marte. Yes, which There's I love. Speed, contact, power, and uh, perspective power that may never come. And I think that's the biggest thing with him <laughs> and Starling Marte is that he's going to make his bones by hitting for average, hitting for enough power, which is like 15 homers, maybe to 20. Uh, but it's going to be the steals and the runs and all that stuff that you, that you get from him uh, and just the baseline of skills. Could he be a better ver- version of Stanley Marte? Absolutely. And I would say there's a better than 50% chance that that's the case. Um, but I just don't want to bet on him being like a 30-30 guy. I know there's some people that, that want to put that on there. Okay. I can't and I think that. I think I think too frequently we dream on Mike Trout and we don't think about the fact there's like only a handful of guys that go <laughs> – that go 30-30, man, you know, with, with good with good contact skills and everything else. Absolutely. No, I agree with you 100%. I love that. I think someone else asked on Twitter. I feel like we're always in Twitter conversations. I feel like that's how I, I interact with you most of the time, Ralph. We obviously text a ton, but we have Twitter interactions, <laughs> and I always remember, like, some of the Twitter conversations we have. I think I said, like, Lorenzo Cain, like a speedier Lorenzo Cain, but I really like the Marte comp, specifically because of what you're talking about, the perspective power, where 
We don't know if it will ever come. I don't think it will, personally. I think that he's going to have to make some swing adjustments. I think that this is more of like a 15 home run, 40 bag kind of guy with a nice average, and that's essentially starting Marte. But I really, I I would push strongly against 30-30. I don't see there's, I would would be stunned. Like, I know we've seen Francisco Lindor go from max 18-ish 20 home runs to 30 whatever home runs, but... There's going to be have to, have to be a substantial swing change in, in Robles in terms of what he does. There's a little bit of like a tense-up in his swing um, if you watch him when he slow him down, um, which I don't think is too much of an issue. I just think it's, you know, it's one of the things aesthetically you could point out with him. Pretty small stride, really not too much engagement in terms of his upper body and lower body as far as power and pure bat speed goes, which probably would suggest more power than I see in there personally. But uh, the swing's not bad at all. It's a really good contact swing, and I think that's kind of what he sacrifices a little bit of the power for. And I'm completely fine with that because I want a guy who can hit 300 and can steal 40 bags as opposed to a guy who's like a 210 to 240 hitter like a VR type who could steal 40 bags. I'd prefer, obviously, everyone would prefer the higher average. So Victor Robles, obviously top prospect. I think everyone consensus top 10. Freaky injury that I'm really happy isn't like a season ender. We'll get to see him hopefully hopefully at the major level late this season. Hopefully his rehab goes well. I'm sure he's going to maybe get some looks back at Harrisburg and uh, in AAA2 up in, I believe, Columbus is their AAA team. Um, wait, no. Syracuse. Uh, there you go, Chiefs. Yep, Syracuse. Syracuse. Yeah, yeah I know because <laughs> I know because I'm going to some Syracuse games this year, and nice. I'm hoping Robles is there. And uh, maybe when they visit uh, McCoy, maybe we can try to oh. uh, corral a, a romantic scouting date down there. Oh, numero I'm two. Also <laughs> hoping, I'm also hoping that Harrisburg, which is their Double A affiliate, visits Hartford at the right time. And one Juan Soto is on that team. He's been promoted to uh, high A, and I don't know if you've noticed, he's already hitting homers at a crazy rate. Two. <laughs> this guy is contact, power, um, on-base ability. He's just a, 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 a an ultimate sort of middle-of-the-order prototype, right? Even the body, right, where he's just he's, he's strong and athletic, um, probably not the fastest guy. But, you know, he, he's he's loose in the sense that, you know, he's really easy to the ball, uh, gets around really quickly. Great bat speed, clean, clean mechanics, has a funny two strike adjustment as well. I know you, you like to comp him to Tony Gwynn and uh, I'll move out of the way <laughs> as a nice segue and let you talk about uh, your comp on the swing a little bit. Yeah, no, I want to toss that. That comp actually came up because of John Calvalno from, from Sal Notes, actually. He brought that up and wanted me to do that because I've been doing a lot of the GIFs on Twitter, which I love doing, uh, just on hitting mechanics, breaking them down. And then Jason Panini is also another individual who uh, does a ton of scouting around various areas, and he gets a ton of looks. I know he's actually pretty good friends, I think, with Jason Woodall. So kind of connection here, coming full circle. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Woodall, uh, excuse me, uh, Panini had some really good video of Soto and open face from third base side. Obviously, he's a lefty. Um, and... Uh, yeah, that was fun to look at and trying to break down in terms of what he does. Obviously, again, it's just a little bit of a shortening up in terms of when he gets to two strikes, but um, his bat speed's unbelievable. He's got a bit of a bat, bat rep that's a little bit heavier, kind of almost like a Boba Shet, but uh, um, the approach here is just bonkers. There's like two guys who the approach of in the minor leagues stand out head and heels above everyone and in combination with their other skills. And for me, that's Juan Soto and it's Flydito. It's Fly Guerrero Jr. In terms of his power and his hit tool, sure. that approach is just off the charts. And with Soto, it's the exact same thing. Maybe just a slightly lower level. I think that I, I didn't get to actually a chance to look at the top 100 from Baseball America, but I would guess they have Soto top 10. Ralph, did you, did you know no. where Soto was on that? No, they no, don't. no, 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 no. I think he's more like 25. They like pitching. They like pitching and they like shortstop. So like Willie Adamas moved up a ton. Yeah, like... 
because it's real real life baseball is factored in a little bit more. So oh, you have the, okay, okay, the okay. defensive fair, element fair. to it where like Soto is just like a right field type where I think the beautiful fantasy up, option, though. Yeah, I think, you know, fantasy wise, he is creeping closer and closer to the top 10. And I think I mentioned last week that I think he'd probably be about 15 or 16 for me. Um, do you want to just sort of yeah. fly to the end of these guys here and finish Absolutely. up the list? Because this yeah. isn't a, a terribly deep system any longer. Carter Kaiboom is an, an interesting one. Power bat from the middle infield. Uh, he's a shortstop, but he's probably moving over to second base. Um, mm. Maybe even I've heard third. He can stay I think he's short, Maybe he's even playing some third base. I think because the arm plays up, if I'm not mistaken. But yep. there's power here. I like the swing personally. I think he's going to hit for some contact as well. Not a ton of swing and miss that I'm going to worry about long term. Younger guy. Uh, he's actually the younger brother of Spencer Kaiboom. So if you look for Kaibooms on the Nationals, make sure that you add Carter Kaiboom. He's the better one. Anything you want to add on Kaiboom? Like I said, I think I think we need to have a full season now of seeing him. And to see what he really projects out to, um, I'm really interested to see what he, what he, what he, what his end line numbers look like and what the scouting reports are like on him consistently throughout this full season uh, in 2018. Yeah, mainly because we don't see a ton of guys with this kind of power because I think he's got legit power. I'd love it um, in terms of what they did with his his hand drop. I believe he actually lowered his hands from high school and then put him back to shortstop. I think I don't think he was a shortstop for most of his high school career. I could be wrong on that, but. Um, He's interesting because I, I think that the immediate thought I had as a Cardinal fan was part Paul DeYoung, where the defense is probably more neutral, can stick there, but um, but the power is there and the power is legit. And I think he could probably get up to that 2025 window that DeYoung was in a full season. Super interesting kind of guy. Again, this is another guy on the fantasy side of things. I feel like the Nationals here, Ralph, in terms of their top three guys, are definitely more fantasy appealing prospects than we've looked at. I think there's a lot of other guys on lists where we combo up everything and we go, okay, they're going to get playing time because of the defense, but you don't get any points on the fantasy side for defense. And, I'll say uh, all five. Yeah. I'll say all yeah. five guys. I, I just think there are different exactly. levels in terms of the development and two through five is really, really young in terms of age wise. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it's just, they, they traded away, you know, some of that generation that, um, you know, would, would have proceeded up. And a lot of them were pitchers too. You know, they don't, they haven't had a lot of hitters in the last couple of years. And it's not like Defoe has gone, you know, crazy no, in the majors. Michael Taylor hasn't been great in the majors. He's just been okay. Um, in the ra- last real system, uh, you know, uh, superstar they produced from that system, I guess would be what Anthony Rendon in terms of a homegrown hitter. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Rendon's a rice guy, too. Oh, no, 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 Trey, um, Trey Turner, but I guess he's oh, kind Trey, of more. Yeah. But he's really more a Padres guy to me, so I guess that's why it didn't stick in my Fair. head because, because no, of the trade. I, I, would cons- okay. I, I don't think Trey Turner's homegrown. I got you on that. I, I'd support the, the Rendon. I'm trying to think if they had anyone else. Yeah, hmm, interesting. Pitchers, I mean, obviously, with Strasburg and such, but that was kind of a gimme pick when he went one overall. That was kind of like a yeah. Bryce Harper style where, like, hey, you lucked into this. Welcome to uh, an elite pitcher and one of the best hitters in baseball. <laughs> no, you know, he's a very good point, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, Fetty, Seth Romero, Ralph, any other guys here that stand out to you? I don't think either of these guys stand out. I think that actually it's good to comp Fetty to Romero because they're very different in terms of their yeah. mechanics, which is something I tend to always go back to. Fetty, a little bit lankier, taller. Um, he's interesting to me. I don't really know how much I like him overall. Um, fastball curveball guy dominantly with slider change kind of mixed around and Ramiro has got a little bit more of a hitch a little bit heavier of a back leg so yeah. you watch their two mechanics side by side you can kind of get a feel for the two kind of classes of pitching in terms of rotational versus 
a little bit more of a heavier back leg. And uh, I don't really think I like either of them too, too, too much. But uh, the thing with Ramirez is a little bit older. He's still in low A and he's already 22, which is a little bit of pause for me in terms of exactly how much upside's there. And he's got to move quick or he's going to be like 25 sitting in low A. And that <laughs> just seems like a perpetual thing of like, he's well, just a career minor league year, which is a concern for me. He was only, Ramirez was only drafted last year. That's a good point too. Yeah. yeah. Actually, you know, wow. Was, I didn't even taken- realize that. Because yeah. he was taken out of Houston. He's the guy that had all the off-the-field concerns, and he didn't yep, pitch. Yep, got yep. kicked off You're the right. Houston team. He was actually kicked out of spring training at one point or something. He got sent home Good at point. one point during spring training. There are some issues there with Amir. I don't know what it is off the field. I don't know if he's just a punk, if he's starting fights. There's some drug issues, some alcohol stuff. I know that all that stuff has sort of been mentioned out there. I don't know specifically what it was, but he's got a lot of ability. He can miss a ton of bats. He's a nasty lefty. His mechanics are funky as hell. He's got the inverted W thing going on. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, I think he's an arm injury waiting to happen. Fetty's a recovering arm injury waiting to happen. And uh, <laughs> he's, you know, he had it. He had it a couple of years ago. There was a point in 2016 that I think everybody thought this guy's going to be up in 2017. This dude's going to push. This guy's a legitimate pitching prospect. And he really struggled at points last year. They tried to put him in the bullpen. It didn't go well. And he's just never sort of gotten his mojo back. So I am interested to see. I know a lot of scouts still like him and, and the ability that he has there. Um, the other guy that I mentioned this, I had written down this. This is Daniel Johnson, who was like a pop-up guy last year. Had a little bit of power and speed. Um, I figured I'd just mention the name. But I don't know, Lance. You want to you want to wrap it up? I feel like this has been a really long podcast. Have you been on for like an hour and 45 minutes? <laughs> no, we're only we're only like hour twenty five. We're right in the regular window here, but it does feel like it's been pretty long. I don't know. Um, the Nationals yeah. list, yeah, it's not too too exciting. Luis Garcia is another guy you mentioned very briefly, Ralph, but he's yeah, again, not he, really hitting too well. Hit well GCL, but not this year. He's kind of and yeah, still in tuna. Yeah, they're they're just super young guys that are in yeah, aggressive yeah. high season assignments, uh, full season assignments. So yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, I would, I would definitely buy in on both in leagues where like one hundred and fifty prospects are owned. I had them just outside my top 100 because I think they're both really exciting players that um, once they tap into it, they could take a huge step forward. It's just a matter like of Soto. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, the thing with he was Soto, injury he, was, based, but... he was injured and Soto yeah. might have been, you know, more like a like a 65 grade prospect. And these guys are more like 55, 60s, but they're interesting offensive players. Uh, Garcia is more of a contact speed guy where I think a lot of people uh, believe Yasiel Antuna is going to end up developing um, more into like a middle-of-the-order power bat that moves over to third base. Absolutely. No, I agree with you. I think that's a good – we're done with the, the systems, Ralph. I know we kind of had we to come up and backload some of them, but uh, we, we made fun? it to the finish line. We could just we talk about minor leagues next week, and then we're going to get into the draft. I'm, I'm we're going to start doing a little bit of draft yeah. stuff. I think maybe we'll do – five by five in the next couple of shows and then maybe do like five in the draft and we can each talk about yeah, five draft we go back and forth. there's so many to go in, into and so many guys that we're, we're hearing about you know firsthand looks from from people throughout the country maybe we'll finally be able to make it out to a mac a mike vassal start one of these days oh my god yeah the weather hopefully gets a little bit better yeah we'll have about four weeks i think before the draft drafts i believe june 4th that monday so 
Yeah, I think that's a perfect. We can kind of mix it in and over four to kind of cover the draft and what we think we could blend it between some of the deeper round guys. I think that if I encourage actually anyone to listen to the MLB Pipeline podcast, which is one that Callison and Mayo put together, they did a pretty good recap of kind of just super high level. If you don't know anything about the draft, I think that's a good one to listen to just to give you a super high level. And then you can come into our pod and kind of get a deeper look. I think at some of the guys we're going to look at. But um, the thing that they mentioned is that it's a relatively deep draft. There really isn't right now a consensus one. I think Casey Mize is right up there from Auburn. Splitter guy. Um, Really good control, polished. Yeah. But uh, there's a bunch of high school arms in this. Pitching's pretty deep. Um, it's been mentioned for a while, Florida, Georgia heavy in terms of a lot of the arms there. But uh, there's, some, there's been some pretty bad springs from a lot of guys. So I think there's yeah. stocks are moving up and down a lot. So uh, it's going to be super interesting to see where guys go. Yeah, and did you see one of my followers, uh, his daughter goes to school with uh, Bryce Terang. Bryce Terang. I did yeah. see that. Yeah, I think yeah, I liked it. I posted a video of the other day, which is pretty cool. <laughs> Um, yeah, but there, and there's some decent, exciting hitters in this draft as well. Like, you know, a guy like Kalenic, oh, sure. um, I know everybody's gaga for Gorman. And I think he's probably the consensus number one first year player draft guy next year in that draft. But there's some other guys too, that I think are pretty interesting. And, uh, I can't wait to dig in a little bit deeper, lots of arms, but there's always lots a lot of, of bats, a lot of bats sleeping behind a lot of arms. That's, <laughs> that's, a, that's the old adage is, you know, everyone can focus on the arms in these first year player drafts, but you want to find the bats, especially the ones that uh, come out and show well in their debuts. But Lance, let's end the podcast. It's been another great week here on the Rasball Prospect Podcast. You can follow me at Prospect Jesus on Twitter. Check out all my articles on Rasball. Always posting, obviously, on Sunday mornings. I've got the pro- uh, the regular podcast with Gray. I'm going to go back and doing some. Now uh, that my pitching responsibilities have been delegated elsewhere. I'm going to go back to doing some of my uh, prospect write-ups during the week, sleeper posts, um, content that's less of the minor league updates and maybe more focused on swing changes for a player. I know I'm going to do digging a little bit on Khalil Lee and some of that stuff. So nice. I'm excited to just focus a little bit more on the minor leagues, which is my passion. Going to go to some games this week, and we're going to figure out which one we're going to go to. I'm hoping Justice Sheffield, who's now been newly promoted to AAA, gets a start in Pawtucket this weekend. It's only a two-game series, so... Uh, he'd be online to pitch on Sunday. Let's see if they put him into that game. I think it'd be pretty exciting. I'd, I'd love to see Justice Sheffield's debut, and I'd buy oh, my tickets real. right behind home plate, and uh, I'd post it on Twitter and Periscope for everyone to watch. Love it. Love it, Ralph. I will keep an eye on your Twitter feed. Uh, keep an eye on my Twitter feed, at Lance Brazo. He's at, at, at Prospect Jesus. Everybody, thank you for joining us, as always. We'll be back next week, and hopefully we'll be streaming it on Periscope, getting that all set up, because 300 viewers is pretty impressive. I think that's pretty cool. We should definitely get that going, Ralph. Yeah, no doubt. Take it easy, everybody. We'll see you soon. White Castle presents CEO Lisa Ingram. My great-grandfather opened White Castle in 1921, which is why I'm excited to announce the new 1921 slider, inspired by how we made them 100 years ago, with a 100% beef patty topped with cheddar cheese, caramelized onions, tomato, lettuce, and pickles. Come see why originality never goes out of style. I'm Lisa, but you can call me the Slider Queen. White Castle. Long live sliders. Pasteurized processed cheese at participating castles. Privacy policy and terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out.
The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. My first grader was behind in reading, and this program has made a huge difference. She's now reading above grade level. I use it for my kids nightly reading for school. We love it, and it's super easy and quick to do. My kid, who just turned four years old and has been using the program since January of this year, can now read. Thank you so much, Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just $1. Text the word KID to 323232 right now. It's fast and easy. Text KID to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text the word KID to 323232. Text KID to 323232.